Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here this morning. You find your seats. We're still in our series uh, in 2 Corinthians. That series, of course, is called The God of All Comfort. The reason for that is because Paul tells us at the beginning of the book that that's why he wrote the book. Most of the authors, when you read books of the Bible, they actually give you the reason. God has them give you the reason while they're writing. Um, And so Paul says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. So Paul actually has, God has Paul write and say, hey, look, this is what I'm writing about. So we, again, are in that series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning. Tomorrow or next week, we'll be in chapter 9 as we go through our series. And in chapter 8, okay, last week, Brian talked about the fact of repentance and what it looked like and Paul calling the people and how he was excited about the fact, if you remember how Corinth kind of happened, Paul planted the Corinthian church. So he was going out church planting. He started the church in Corinth, sent by the church in Jerusalem, sent by the apostles. Paul went out. He started the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth, he left then after a few years, he left, turned the church over to other people. As Paul left, the church went into chaos. They started doing crazy stuff. And so Paul wrote a letter to them. You can read the letter in 1 Corinthians. That's why this is second, is because there was a first. There was also another letter we don't have. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul is just really harsh. It's a really harsh kind of, what are you doing, rebuke letter saying, hey, I love you, stop doing this. You've got to stop behaving this way. This does not represent Christ. This is not good for the community. This is not good for the glory of God. And so Paul like just rips them to shreds in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing back Because Paul is encouraged, and Brian talked about this last week, that they repented. They actually listened. They didn't say, who are you to tell us? This is our church. You can't speak to us. You left. They were like, wow, you're right. We need to change some things. And they actually confronted the issues in the church. They changed. Their hearts changed. And and Paul was so excited. He was like, man, you guys repented. Repent just means to turn from one direction and turn the right direction. Okay? And so literally last week, Paul writes about that. Now, what is interesting is that Paul goes into chapters 8 and 9 after he's talking about how great it is that the Corinthian church turned back to God and then... He uses something that we don't like talking about as proof of repentance for two chapters. Two whole chapters, Paul goes off on what we don't like to talk about, money. He talks about finances for two chapters. It takes up a majority of the book. It's like one of the majority issues. And he doesn't talk about it like you're used to hearing about it or even as most churches talk about it today. He doesn't. He talks about it very biblically and very carefully because just like in our day, finances are an issue that we don't like to talk about. We don't want people to hold us accountable. We don't want to hold other people accountable. We just want everything to be okay and there's just going to be enough and where there's too little and I'm mad. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You have to be careful that you don't find your comfort in money. And Jesus says this. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
And so Paul goes into chapter 8 and he takes an approach to talk about this, this subject that really almost no other place in Scripture really does. And here's where he starts. He says, okay, you've repented, but now I'm writing to you, he says, brothers. And it's called the gift of grace. That's the title. And here's why. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches in Macedonia. You say, grace? Grace is unmerited favor. What? Grace and money? Paul is going to use throughout the next two chapters the word grace and gift in place of money. And he never once mentions the word money <laughs> to try to get us to see that what we believe about the grace of God in our lives and what we believe about what God has given us and what we give really does expose what we believe about grace and who God is. And he spends the next two chapters laying that out. And he says, look, I know you guys have repented from all these sins, but we, we really also want you to know about the grace of God granted. That's given. It was granted to the churches of Macedonia. And he specifically mentions these churches in Macedonia. There were three or four different churches. One of those was Philippi that we have a letter about. And he says, I, I specifically want to show you the incredible grace that has happened in the lives of these Macedonians, he says. And so he lays this out. And so here's what I'm going to do this morning, just as kind of an illustration. What is that? What is that? It's a dollar. It, it's American currency. It's one dollar. Good job, Gary. It's not 10. It's not 100. It's just one dollar. Just simple dollar. Okay. Have you ever thought when you looked at a dollar bill or you looked at a currency that? I hadn't until I studied this. That every single thing, every dollar that passes through my hands, every breath I can take to work and make a dollar, whether it's working here at the church or doing construction like I did before, like whatever that is, every dollar, every Every resource that passes through my life is the grace of God on me. I don't deserve it. I don't. I don't deserve to have life and breath tomorrow. I've been a mess in my life. I, I don't use it all well perfectly. I, I make dumb decisions. I buy things I shouldn't and regret sometimes. Try not to very often. But like, Paul is writing and he's saying, I'm trying, I, I want to try to help you to see that while you've repented of all these acts of sin, there's still this issue that you have in the church. You're not handling money, seeing it from the idea of God's amazing grace in your life and it given to you to be amazing in other people's lives. And that's exactly what he does. You know, Paul goes straight from repentance to this. There's only two, there's only three things you can do with uh, earthly resources or with money. You can give it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. That's it. The only three things you can do, you can give it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. Give, save, spend. That's it. And God calls us and Jesus calls us to an investment in eternal things, to invest in God's things. He knows there are things we're going to have to spend money on. You have to eat. You're not going to get it for free. You're going to have to buy food, right? 
but that's also an investment in your health so that you can continue to honor and glorify God. It's an investment in yourself and in your family members. That's what it is. And, and Paul's really talking about this stewardship of grace. You see, grace is a gift. And your practical wealth response to all that God's given you exposes what you believe about his grace. You know, there's a lot of people who give money, right? The question is, do they do it with the right motives? Do they do it because they believe all that God has given to them and it's all his anyway? Or do we do it begrudgingly? Because we have to, because I'm afraid I'll get in trouble because I'm trying to earn favor with God. You see, most people do not want a relationship with the giver. They just want the benefits of giving and being left alone with the rest. See, I don't want God to have authority in my life to tell me what to do with the other 90% of my income. I just want to give 10%, a tithe, check the box, and move on. But that's, that's what we want to do so often. And God's like, no, 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 it's all mine. Every dollar. And, and so... Why can I say that most people just want the benefits? Because when the obvious benefits of the grace, whatever that grace is, runs out, the people who are trusting in those benefits leave. They leave marriages, they leave families, they leave churches, they leave jobs, because they were in it for the benefits. They weren't in it for any other reason. And it's time to leave. Because I'm not getting anything anymore. What if God did that? What if God's like, you know, these people really aren't giving me anything anymore. Does God need anything in the first place? No, he needs nothing. He's God. So what if he's like, you know, I don't need these people. And just, you know, beep, flip the earth like a little like pinball. Like, boom, there it goes out into space. Gone. Goodbye. Like, you could do that. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's trying to get us to see who he is, to have a relationship with the giver. And Paul wants this Corinthian church to see how the Macedonian church truly believed that having a relationship with God and having a relationship with the other churches through the way they give was giving a megaphone to the world of the grace of God in their lives and around the globe. That's exactly why Paul brings this issue up. And you know, what Paul's talking about in this giving too, and we'll talk about this as we go through it, is he's also talking about the fact that this giving isn't something you necessarily choose to do. See, the Macedonian church, the Corinthian church, the Jerusalem church, they gave through the church, not around it. They gave through the church. We, as a church, give through the cooperative program of 16,000 other churches that we partner with to send out missionaries all around the globe. But see, most churches don't do that. Most churches either have a hierarchical structure with like some really important pope or bishop at the top, and he tells everybody what to do with their money. Or the pastor is the pope of that church, and he tells everybody to do or tells the church what to do with their money. There's not a willing partnership. Because see, we, in our Baptist roots, we are an independent church, but we willingly cooperate with all the other churches. That's what's happening here. The Macedonians are willingly cooperating with God. So let's dive into the rest of the story. 
So why is Paul specifically mentioning this grace granted to these Macedonians? Look at what he says about what's going on in Macedonia. He says, during a severe testing by affliction, the Macedonians' abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed to the wealth of their generosity. So he says these Macedonians were going through an affliction. They were in poverty, and yet still they found a way to be gracious to the other churches and to be gracious to the needs of others. You see, what was happening right now around the world at this time was a famine. There was a famine in Jerusalem. There was a famine in Macedonia. There hadn't been rain. There wasn't enough food. People were losing their jobs, their livelihoods. It was bad. And the Jerusalem church was starving. They were dying. It was so bad. And so the Macedonians are like, look, when they heard about the suffering of these other Christians in Jerusalem, by the way, these other Christians who were of a different ethnicity than them, these other Christians that just a little bit ago, the Jerusalem church was telling the Gentile churches that they had to be circumcised to be saved, and Paul had to leave the mission field to go confront them and say, that's not what Jesus said. The Jerusalem church that thought they were the church that were staying in Jerusalem waiting for Jesus to come back. This was before the temple was torn down. And they thought they were the right church that Jesus was going to come back to in their lifetime. And then the temple got torn down. Nero broke out in Diocletian and persecution. And the great dispersion, as we call it in history, where the church in Jerusalem had to run and scatter for their lives happened. You know, that church that tended to be a little racist, that tended to be a little uppity because they're the Jerusalem Jewish church. And the Macedonians hear about their suffering. And even though they're in poverty, we'll find out in a minute, they begged to help them. Begged, Paul said. He goes on, he says this. He says, I testify that on their own, according to their ability, and then even beyond their ability. They gave according to their ability, and then they went crazy and started giving beyond what they should have given. Beyond what, what they could have done. And then look at what it says. They begged us incessantly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. What's the grace? It's the offering. That he should... We told Titus that he should encourage you as the Corinthian church, because remember, Paul's writing a letter. He's not in Corinth. Titus is in Corinth. And he's like, Titus is encouraging you to participate in this too. And, and here's the deal. Paul says the reason we're telling Titus to encourage you is not because we're trying to demand that you give. It's because, look, listen, Paul's like, we didn't ask the Macedonian church to give. That's what he's insinuating here. He's like, they were in poverty. They were starving too. So we didn't even think to ask them. We didn't even, like, we didn't want to ask the Macedonian churches for money because they were hurting themselves. But when they heard the rumor that people in Jerusalem who were believers were dying, they gave, oh my gosh. He said, so instead of us not telling you in the Corinthian church and just keeping it to ourselves, 
Now that we've seen what God's done in the Macedonian church, we've got to tell you. I, I, I told Titus, like, you, you got to tell them. Because I didn't tell the Macedonian church, and that was on me. I should have invited them to participate. And then they found out about it, and they're like, Paul, why didn't you tell us? You don't think we want to participate? You don't think we want to help? Do you think we're nothing? Do you think we don't have God's grace? Do you think God can't provide for us, Paul? Paul's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please give. And then they give in abundance. And so Paul writes to Titus and he's like, look, I made a mistake. We didn't offer the Macedonian the chance. So I'm writing to you, the Corinthian church, to let you know the reason that we're asking you to give is not because I'm trying to put pressure on you. He later says, it's not because we're going to like take 10% and put it in our back pocket. That's not what this is about. He's like, I just didn't ask the Macedonians and that was on me and they gave abundantly when they found out. And so I thought, well, man, I should probably let people know. It's wrong of me not to let churches know that our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are dying. And then send a gift, look at this, to the Jerusalem church. Remember, Paul is talking churches here. He's not talking just handing out money willy-nilly to everybody. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're giving it to people who are living on a budget. They know how to use the resources. They're good stewards. They're proven managers. This isn't a GoFundMe here. This is not what this is, okay? I'm not against necessarily GoFundMe, but it's like, okay, who's accountable for that money? Where's it going? And why did they end up in the situation they're in? See, Paul's not saying, hey, look, you know, the Jerusalem church, they've been really irresponsible. They built a bunch of buildings. They've got a big temple they're trying to keep going. Um, you know, no, he's like, look, look, no fault of their own, they're being persecuted and they're starving. And it's not their fault. They've done nothing to deserve or have to like, get out of this mess on their own. See, most of the stuff we give to, we give to, and we don't even ask, how did people get in the mess? If you love people, you'll ask that question. Otherwise, you become an enabler. Because when you start giving people to money without understanding how it is they got in the mess, don't be surprised when they use that money to keep their mess going instead of paying for their bills. Because they will. You, Paul's like, that's not what we're doing. We're giving this from church leader to church leader, from church to church. There's authority over this. We're not asking you just to give willy-nilly. There's responsibility behind this. And that's how the grace of God works. He goes on. He says this. Now, as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us... Paul says, look, you guys as the Corinthian church, you have excelled in faith. Man, you've had amazing faith to leave your pagan gods in Corinth and trust the God of the Bible because you're not Jewish and you've believed in the Jewish God. That's crazy. That's amazing faith. He says, your speech, you're talking about the fact of who God is and that you've been changed and you're no longer who you were. That's amazing. Your knowledge, you're starting to understand what God has written to people in the past and how it applies to you. And that's amazing. You're being diligent to deal with sin in your life, which he just wrote about in chapter seven. You've repented and done this. And then he says, and you've been so loving to us. You've provided for me, Paul, finances. You've provided food. You've provided clothing to me. You've provided for us. And he's like, that's amazing. But then he says, excel also in this grace. 
excel also in this grace. Wait, so faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and love aren't grace? No, it's all the grace of God. But I'm specifically asking you, Corinth, because, listen to this, Corinth was one of the wealthiest cities that Paul church planted in. It was an incredibly wealthy merchant class city. Paul was saying, look, you guys have done great, but I have to, I have to talk about how God has put you in Corinth for a reason. If you're a believer in Corinth, you have been put in wealth for a reason. And it's not just so you can brag about your wealth or show off your wealth. It's because God has given you these special, incredible promises of grace that he wants you to extend to others. There's a reason why I was born in the United States. My soul was put in a body with two parents, Neil and Sue, in a little town in Windfall, in Indiana, in the United States. I was not born in South America. My soul didn't go to, wasn't born into Africa. It was born here. And there are incredible graces and privileges that I get as a United States citizen that the rest of the world doesn't have. Now, how do I use that? Do I excel in that grace of wealth and privilege that I've been given? And I'm not talking about how the woke folks talk about privilege. They're not that stuff. I'm talking about just recognizing how privileged I am to know Jesus and his grace and to have the freedom to talk to you today without somebody banging in the door to kill us. Like, wow. Paul's like, Corinthian church, you're not being persecuted. You're not starving. God has given you incredible grace. Leverage it. <laughs> Leverage it for the kingdom. Just as much as you can. Then he goes on and he says, I'm not saying this as a command. I love that Paul puts this in there. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. Paul says, look, I am not saying excelling grace and you better or else. I'm coming to visit you. And if you haven't excelled in this grace and I'm, you're out of the church and you're, you, give they, you gave more than she did, so I like you better. He's like, no, 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 no. This is not a command. The command of God is that you surrender your whole life to God, right? To die to yourself, to live to Christ. That's the command of God. He's like, I'm just commanding you to actually practice that in your finances. The command is that all of you is God's. So live it out. Practice it. Be diligent. I'm not commanding you. I'm asking you to really pray and think about the grace of God in your life and how grateful you should be to him for what he's done. And I'm testing to see because I, Paul says this, I recognize that the genuineness of love will come out of those who understand grace. Those who understand how much they deserve God's wrath and were given God's love and mercy and relationship with him are the ones that see the genuineness of that love and they can't help but respond in genuine genuine love to others, not fake love, not love that says, well, I'll give if I get, and, and well, I'll give to this person so I feel better. No, this isn't about you feeling anything. 
This is about you believing that God is who he says he is and God, it's all yours. And some of it, I'm gonna need to do the things you ask me to do in my own life and with my children and with my grandchildren. And some of it, I'm gonna need to, to help the job I work at or my, my fellow employees. And so, like, I, I've got all these things. But he says, look, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. You see, we don't need the tithe and the tithe actually was never, I hear pastors say this all the time, the tithe was never rewritten in the New Testament. Tithe means 10%. And in the Old Testament, the first 10% of everything, your harvest, your flock, everything was God's. The first 10% his. That is not repeated anywhere in the New Testament. You don't find anywhere in the New Testament where it says you must give the tithe. You don't find it. You want to know why? Because Jesus in the New Testament says, it's all mine now. You exchanged your life for mine, so now it's all mine, period. Oh, it's way worse than a tithe, way worse. I'd rather just have the tithe. Like, here's the, there you go. But no, 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 it's way deeper than that in the New Testament. And by the way, just because something's not repeated in the New Testament doesn't mean God doesn't want us to do it. I don't know where we get that concept from where there's like an Old Testament and a New Testament. And when Jesus came, he burned the Old Testament and we throw it out. And now we just do what the New Testament says. That, that's, that's not what the Bible says. We're supposed to think. And if God says in the Old Testament, the minimum standard is 10%, and in the, in the New Testament, it's the, the standard is your whole life, then it's like, well, it's probably not 10%. It's more. And I'm supposed to give through, responsibly, through the church and through people. So what does that look like? How do I do that is the question. And Paul's saying, look, I'm just giving you the opportunity to respond because I didn't give the Macedonian church the chance to respond. And they showed me a genuineness in their faith and their love and in the grace of God that I am shocked by. And I'm never making that mistake again. I'm going to give people the opportunity to show the genuineness of their love through their money. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going I'm to offer. You know, in our church, you guys know this. All of our finances are wide open. We don't hide anything. We're getting ready to come up on budget season. You're going to vote on a budget. You get to decide, hey, are you going to support what the church is doing and the missionaries we support, the church plants we support, the things that we do, the organizations. You're going to decide that. We as a church, since the time we planted, we give 10% to our partners and an additional 5% to other organizations. We give 15% of every dollar that comes in this church goes outside. It means that all of our staff have had to work other jobs so that we could have a church. We don't have any plans to build a building. None. Because if we build a building, we always, we've been in church, I've been in ministry 30 years, Jason just as long. We've always seen that when you build a building, all of a sudden it becomes about the building. And the first thing that gets cut is not staff because you need the staff to fill the building and keep the building running. You cut missions first every single time. So if we can meet in this community center and keep our costs down and serve them and clean this building and do things here like their block parties and everything else, then why would we want to go build something that's going to take away money to put in a building that we already have much cheaper when we could give that money away and show the genuineness of our belief in the love of God to the missions of the world? That, that's why we do what we do here. It's why everything is wide open. You can see our budget online. We don't hide a dollar. 
That, that's who we want to be because we want to model that to you like the Macedonian church was modeling it to the Corinthian church. It, it's a model. And I'm not saying that we need to judge everybody else and what they do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying for us, we're doing what the scripture says. And the scripture says to give tithes and offerings at a bare minimum. So we give tithes and offerings at a bare minimum. Look at what happened in Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry, it says that Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from the procession. Jesus had these people supporting their ministry. These women giving to the ministry that they were doing so they could help the poor, so they could do the ministry, they could travel, they could have food to eat. Like this is, they were showing the grace of God. You see, Paul doesn't guilt trip them. He doesn't make them promise. He doesn't make them pinky square, swear, right? He doesn't say, hey, if you can outdo the Macedonians. Paul doesn't say, hey, we got a multi-level marketing scheme that we're gonna do, and if you do this, then we'll take 10% off the side, and we're gonna make this great ministry out of it. Paul's not like, hey, buy my CDs and my tapes. I'm gonna send that on to Macedonia. That's not what Paul does. He doesn't say, hey, the Macedonian church, they've ponied up 50,000. Why don't you match 50? Paul doesn't do any schemes at all. He's just like, if you think the Jerusalem church is dying and you're concerned about it, then do something about it. Can't you just like give me a rule? Because it'd be much easier if you just said give $100. Because I'd feel a lot better if you just said give $100. I don't want to think about what God might ask me to do for dying Christians. I'd rather you just say, if everybody gives $100, we can solve this problem. Okay, here's 100 bucks. And then I feel better. I feel so good about myself. I get to keep all the rest of my money and not be, con you know, it's all mine. All mine. I got it. Good. There's my 100. We all solved the problem, right? Praise the Lord. No, no, no. Paul's like, you got to dig deep and ask God if you're doing what he wants you to do with your resources. He goes on, he says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Lord Jesus Christ is a loaded statement. Lord means Yahweh. Jesus means Yahweh who saves. Christ means Messiah. Paul is saying, look, you know that Yahweh, who is the Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah of the whole Bible, has had grace on people since Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, all the way through. Think about the grace of God that he has had and that the Lord Jesus has had on you. Think about that. It's way bigger than you, and yet he wants a personal relationship with you. That's crazy. And then he says... Though Jesus was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus was rich? Jesus wasn't rich. He was born in a manger, borrowed feeding trough of an animal. They had to go pay their taxes and travel because they weren't wealthy enough to send their taxes on because they were poor to be counted. They had to flee to Egypt and have to use borrowed gifts that they got from the wise men to bring it to them when Jesus was probably 18 months, two years old. They, they had to use up all that money. And then they came back and they had to live in Nazareth. And Jesus grew up, it says he grew up kind of poor in Nazareth and he was just a construction worker. When he started his ministry, he wasn't rich. He kept giving it all away and the disciples would get mad at him. So when was Jesus rich? at the foundation of the world because he's God. Jesus had everything. 
And he said, it is worth it to me to give it all up if I can just get people to see the grace that I want for them in their heart and the grace of my Father in their life. I'll give up everything if people can just see how great heaven is and how messed up this world is. Jesus left heaven itself so that we might have the riches of heaven in us. Think about that for a minute. Jesus constantly borrowed everything in the scripture. Do you know this? Jesus borrowed a coin to give an illustration because he didn't even have a coin. He borrowed a boat multiple times because he didn't have a boat right? He borrowed a donkey to enter into Jerusalem. He's like, hey, there's a guy. He's going to loan us a donkey so I can travel in. He borrowed a tomb because he didn't even have a place to be buried. Every time he sent the disciples home, all the disciples would go to their homes for a retreat. Where did Jesus go? He'd just go out into the wilderness, out to the Mount of Olives because he didn't have a home. He had no place to lay his head. Now, it's fine to send the disciples to their homes. It's great. Go spend time with your wife. Go spend time with your family. That's awesome. But I don't have a home. I'm just going to go sleep out in the woods. That was Jesus. He borrowed everything. Now, he returned it 10 times fold. So don't think, yeah, that's what I do. I borrow it all. And then I hoard. No, you like, and he returns it better, right? Like he borrowed a tomb, but we get resurrection. That's pretty, that's a pretty good trade. Jesus modeled to us what this grace looks like. And that's Paul's reminder. Look at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You're not saved because you're wealthy, because of your works, because of how much you've done and look at how great I am. You are saved only because God has grace on you. Because he is putting your justice on his son. Because Jesus said, I'll pay with my riches because they're so poor and impoverished, they can't pay this off. He goes on and he says, and then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have a seat beside the resource giver of the world for all of eternity. What are you holding on to things for now? Why? You're going to get to heaven and be like, well, that, was, that was dumb. Like, we're going to get to heaven, and the Bible says the streets are paved with gold. And every time I see a commercial for gold or hear one on the radio, like, buy gold, you know, because the economy's tanking, I'm like, God paves the streets with that stuff. I don't need any more of it. We'd be walking on it like pavement. He goes on and he says, look at this. So that, why? Why did, why did Christ save you and seat you and give you this grace? Look, so that in the coming ages, that's now, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that God wants to show you his grace and wants to use you to show his grace to others? Then show me the money. <laughs> show me your money. What do you do with it? And, and God says he wants to show us grace too. So sometimes God wants us to spend money on ourselves because he just wants us to say, I love you. Have a good time. You're my child. Here you go. Like it's not wrong. Then he goes on and he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. Well, I got more money than you did and I got because I'm smarter than you and I did more. No, 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 no. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The grace of God going through you has been prepared beforehand. Christ has done it all. Okay, you live right now, you're in the United States. Not all of you are from the United States, but many, most of you are. If you live in the United States and you make $25,000 a year and you work for 40 years, you will be a millionaire. It's been prepared beforehand. If you make $50,000 a year and you work for 40 years, you will be a double million, two millionaire, okay? Double millionaire. If you marry someone who makes 50 and you make 50, you will have beforehand and 40 years of working, $4 million will flow through your life in 40 years. You are already beforehand a millionaire if you live in the United States. What are you going to do with it? What's your plan? I mean, these, aren't, these are crazy low salaries I just gave you. Like these are not high, you're not, wow, I'm going to live really rich at 25 grand a year. You'll barely make it. But, but do you understand that you've been given this incredible grace for wealth and these things? Do you have a plan to use it now? If you stay health, decently healthy for 40 years and work an average job, you're going to have millions of dollars pass through your hands. What's your plan to allow God's grace to flow into your life and flow out of you to other people with that money? What's your plan? And it's going to look different for each one of us. I'm telling you, it's not all the same. There's not like a list of rules that say, well, you got to do that and then this. And then. Nope. Gonna look, God makes some people wealthy, makes some people poor. Just the way it is. Because he's trying to get wealthy people to see poor people and feel, you know, do something about their wealth. And he's trying to get poor people to see that wealth doesn't really make a big, like doesn't make people happy and, you know, and I got to be happy in Christ. And that's why God uses all this together. It's a beautiful thing that he does to express his incredible love and mercy. Goes on, says this. Paul says in verse 10, now I'm giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you who a year ago began not only to do something, but also desire it. But now finish the task as well that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Paul's saying, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. In other words, I'm not asking you to go in debt to give to the church. I'm not asking you to not pay your debtors so that you can give a bunch of money to God and think God's going to like pay off bills for you. That's false teaching. Don't do it. Paul's like, look, I, you said you were eager to give a year ago. I haven't seen an offering come through, so I'm just reminding you, a year ago you said you were going to do this, and you haven't done it. What's going on? Because there's something broken in grace if you think you can just say whatever you want and then not follow through with it. And then he says, look, I'm not trying to like get you to give a certain amount. I just, you were eager, so I'm reminding you of your eagerness and I'm just letting you know that when I come, when Titus comes, that he's going to be ready to take that gift to Jerusalem for you so that you can participate in the grace of God. 
And then he says, look, I'm not asking you to give to according to what you don't have. So if, again, it's amazing to me because poor people tend to be the best givers. They are. Statistically, throughout history, poor people give better than rich people because they understand what it's like to be poor. They understand what it's like to, to miss a meal, and so then they see someone miss a meal, they hurt. Their stomach hurts. They feel the pain of that person. Wealthy people, oftentimes, it's very difficult for wealthy people to give because we have all kinds of excuses. And you know what? The Macedonians had all kinds of excuses not to give. Every excuse you can think of, they had it. And they didn't. The Corinthian church has no excuses not to give. <laughs> and Paul's reminding them, hey, you were eager. I didn't make you do this. I didn't command it. You were all eager about this. But now what's going on? A year ago, you said, I want to get on a budget. I want to solve my financial problems. I want to take care of this. I want to be a giver. I want my life to change. I want to stop doing, charging things and buying stuff I don't. I want to do these things. And Paul's like, okay, great. But a year's gone by. Are you ready to participate in the grace of God working in your life? Look at what Peter says. 1 Peter 4.10, this is the guy who is in Jerusalem who the offering is going to go to. Okay, He says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. He says, look, there are gifts you've been given. There are financial blessings that you've received. Whatever it is, whatever graces that God has given you, use those to serve others as good managers because there's a variety of finances. There's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of graces in people's lives that people have. Some of you have an incredible gift of mercy. Some of you have a, an incredible gift of, of like rebuke and truth. Like there's all different gifts, but manage it well, understanding that you received that, not just for you to have to show off and to give yourself glory, but so that you could be a manager of it to show God's glory through it. That's what Peter's writing. And he's like, don't look around and covet what you don't have. Man, I really wish I was more merciful. Well, that's good, but you're going to struggle probably because that's just not who you are. It's good to have more mercy. It's good to allow God to change you. But the reason that you don't have mercy is because God doesn't want you to be a little God. So he leaves you with not having certain graces. So you have to go where to find grace? Him and the church. Because I may not have the gift of mercy, but some of you do. And when I see you in your life acting it, oh, it brings conviction on me, man. I'm like, oh, I need, oh, I need to be, oh, I could have done that. Dang it. Like, God does that to, to purify and sanctify us and show the world that this isn't a perfect church. This is a church that's clinging to the grace of God through him and one another. He goes on and says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Remember Paul said, I'm testing the generosity of your love. Peter says, don't be surprised when you're tested as if something unusual were happening to you. I lost all my money. It wasn't my fault. Okay, well, God's putting you through something. He's gonna, there's a grace through this. I don't know what it is, but we'll walk with you. And then he says, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. 
As you become poor like he became poor, rejoice in it. If you become rich, it's because he's rich. So what are you going to do with those riches? And then he says, look at this, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. The whole point of this grace is to get us ready to see the full grace, beauty and gift and glory of a relationship with the God of the universe at the end of time. When he brings a new Jerusalem and a new earth and gives us new bodies, we're going to just be like, wow, all that exercise I did is nothing compared to this new body I got. That old one was, I mean, it, it looked good. I worked really hard on it, but it, it didn't even compare like this one. Woo, man. And look at yours. Like you were worse than me. And now look at what you got. Like that's, we're just going to be amazed. We're going to like, wow. And then he says, look, if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of God or spirit of glory and God rests on you. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted and ridiculed. God, why me? God's like, why not you? I, I, I'm not putting you through anything that I personally didn't go through in the flesh, Jesus says. So why not you? Why are you pointing at everybody else? Why, why not you go through it? Why not you experience my grace? Why not you pass through the fire? Well, because I've done this, this, this. Oh, so it's not about grace. It's about works with you and me. So your relationship with me is about works. It's a business deal. And now that the benefits have run out, you're running. You're mad. I'm done with this guy. Got it. Just be glad that's not how I act towards you. And I'll be patient to see you come back around. But just check your heart. He goes on and says, in Mark, they test Jesus. They come to Jesus. They say, should we pay or should we not pay? This is taxes. Should we pay or should we not pay? But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why are you testing me? Remember, Paul said, I'm testing the generosity of this gift of grace you have. Peter says, look, God's going to test you. Jesus asks an incredible question. He says, why are you testing me? This is actually a huge question about who Jesus is and his deity. Because look, in Matthew 7, Jesus told him, it is written, he's telling Satan, do not test the Lord your God. So again, Jesus is saying, are you testing me because you don't think I'm God? Or Malachi 3.10, bring the full tenth, the tenth was a tax, into the storehouse and test me in this way, God says in Malachi. This is the only place in scripture where God says, test me. Only place. Only place in scripture is God says, test me with the first of what I give you. Only place, says the Lord of hosts. He said, every place else, he says, do not test the Lord your God everywhere except here. And so Jesus is getting a money question and he looks at them and says, so are you testing me because you believe that I'm not God or are you testing me because you believe I am God? And so you're testing me with a tax and money because you're coming to me who's Yahweh and you're asking me. Of course, that's not why they're testing him. They're testing him because they don't believe he's God. So then this is his response. Bring me a coin, a denarius to look at. So they brought him one. Whose images inscription is on this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar's the things that are Caesar and to God's the things that are God. And they were amazed at him. Do you believe your gods? Do you believe that you are God's child, that you're his? Or do you believe that you're God's? Little God's. Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Whose inscription do you live your life by? Whose image are you chasing and going for? 
And it'll show up. It'll show up in these kind of questions about simple things like money, he says. Corinthians goes on, it says, it's not that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so their abundance may also become available for our need. So there may be equality. At, at, as it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. This is a very misinterpreted verse. Jesus is not saying he wants equality like socialism where you take it all and then I decide what you get. He's talking about equality and the ability to give. Paul is saying, look, I want to give everybody equal opportunity, equality to give, not you all have to give the same amount. And if you're rich, I'm going to take it from you and give to the poor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want to give everybody equal opportunity to give. And then he says, look, everybody has to gather something. In the Old Testament, the poor were responsible to gather the gleanings of the field and the landowner and the rich landowner and wealthy people who grew the crops were required by law to keep the edges of their field. They were not allowed to get the grain and the crops on the edge of the field. That was for the poor. They were to leave it alone. They were to squeeze every dime out of every little thing they could get. They were to leave it. And that's exactly what Paul is referring to here. But look, we all gather differently. Some of us are stronger, faster. We can gather better. Some of us are crippled. We can't gather as well. He's like, it doesn't matter. Gather is what you gather, honor with the Lord. Look at what he, 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes this. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. This is a command, not an option. He says, if anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. Now, it's not our definition of work, so be careful, right? Because we like to judge people, but it's, no, are, are you willing to, do you want to work? Do you, do you just say you want to work, but you won't? Or like you genuinely can't work, and so we need to care for you? Like these are conversations that Paul says, look, I command people in the church, you are not just a sponge off of other people, and other people gather a lot, and you just take their money, and you live off of it. No, that is not what we do in the church, each one of us is given abilities and responsibilities to use for God. And if you've been given much, then man, God wants you to give much. And if you've been given little, it's okay. Give as much as you can. That's the message of the Bible throughout. The first death in the New Testament was over money. But a, poor man, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of proper, property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came over all who heard. Yeah, because you know everybody else probably lied about money too. You'd be scared to death. You'd be like, I didn't tell the truth about my, I told my wife I didn't and spin that and I, I got a cheeseburger. I told her I did. I'm, God, I'm sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. I bought a cheeseburger. I want to die. <laughs> Great fear came over everyone. Like, man, this new church is serious. People weren't dying in the Old Testament like this. And then it says, look, there was an interval of about three hours. Then his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. They asked her to tell the truth. She lied. Then she instantly dropped dead at Peter's feet. They kindly buried them. Okay, they didn't like take their bodies and drag them through the street. They wept. The Bible says they wept and mourned over this and they gave them a proper burial. 
So they paid for their burial. This is the first death. The first death in the Bible isn't even preaching Jesus. It's not being martyred for your faith. It's lying about money. Is the first death in the New Testament. Wow. He goes on and says this. It's not advancing, Brian. You're going to have to help me out. He goes on and says this. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago, Jude said, has come in by stealth. They're ungodly, turning the grace of God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. There are so many people who are coming into the church and it's all about promiscuity. It's what I can get, what I can do. How much can I stretch the grace of God? Not how much can I just be grateful for all that God's given me. Right? They want to stretch it out. They want to live promiscuity, like lives of promiscuity that no one can confront what they do instead of living for Christ. They want to deny God's lordship. They want to be the lord of their money. They want to be the lord of their time. They want to be the lord of their life. God says, not happening. Not happening. He goes on to say this. Look at this. Just some quick points. You see, we can choose to obey and believe in complexity to earn, feel, or keep grace. We can choose to not believe and obey simply until we have a supernatural feeling of an act of grace, or we can choose to believe God's gift of grace by faith and gratefully obey him by surrendering our feelings to his grace. Those are our options. Why are you living for God? Why are you living for his grace? That's a great question that we need to wrestle. He goes on and says this, Thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. I love this. Paul says, look, thanks be to God that Paul, that I'm giving you the opportunity to hear this message and to participate in this financial grace giving. Thanks be to Titus who confronted me and said, hey, you didn't give the Macedonians a chance to give. And that was probably a mistake. And now I see it was a mistake. So I'm giving you, the Corinthian church, an opportunity to give. Thanks be to Titus that he sees the connection between the two. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians, look at what he says. He said, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spent money like a child. <laughs> I expected to get money like a child, Right? Money, five bucks, mom. Like, what have you done? Nothing. I haven't cleaned my room. I haven't done anything, but I need five bucks. Mm, we need to do a little education, right? Then it goes on and it says, for now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, I can see kind of what, how things work, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And remember what Paul said. He said, I am testing you. I'm giving you this offering. I'm asking because I want to test the genuineness of your love. You say you have faith. You say you have hope in Christ. Where's the love, he says. Look at what James says. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Notice the word there is brothers. It's not for all the other people that don't know Jesus. He said, no, we should lay down our lives for those that are brothers and sisters in Jesus. That, that's our call. Because here's the deal. If we give everything to the lost world, then there's no need for the world to come to God and repent because we keep supporting their sinfulness. 
Do you see that? Be very careful. It doesn't mean we don't give to lost people. It's just we're so busy about trying to attract lost people to the church by giving them stuff. And guess what? It's not working. The church is shrinking. Across the board, the church is not growing in all denominations because we're, we're not taking the right approach of looking of how to care for one another because that would encourage the lost people to come into the church to say, man, I want that kind of care. I want that versus saying, well, here you go, here you go, here you go. You know, when you feel Jesus, you come to us. Versus saying, I would love to help you, but I'm responsible. I'm a steward of what God's given me. And I don't think I can give you that because you're not going to use it for his glory. And I might do this one time, but I, I can't keep doing this. You need to learn how to like submit to God and know him. And there's a family that can help you. I don't have, I have limited resources, but God has unlimited resources. Then he goes on and he says, anyone who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his needs, how can God's love reside in him? How? Now, does that mean we can meet every need? No, doesn't. Jesus didn't meet every need. He didn't heal every person. <laughs> he didn't. But we need to at least open our eyes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember, this isn't you taking care of problems. This is you, as Paul says, through the church taking care of problems. It's through one another and through the accountability of the body that we do God's financial plan. James goes on and says this, what good is it if my brothers, if someone says I have faith but does not have works, can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Second Corinthians finishes with this in chapter 8. It's not the end of the chapter, but close. For he accepted, Titus accepted our urging and being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. It's a choice. Receiving God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus, understanding how bankrupt you are and your desperate need for the riches of God in your life. Not riches of this world, but riches of heaven. Riches of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there are no rules or laws. That kind of richness, that's the urging that we need to be very diligent. How diligent are you? Paul says, with the graces that God has given you? How diligent are you with the finances that he's provided you? Because God wants you to be diligent so people can know him, so that God can get all the glory. And then he says, look, we didn't make Titus go to you and give you this message. Titus was like, I'm telling him. I'm, I, gotta, I gotta tell him. They have the resources to help. They gotta know. They've gotta be challenged. It was Titus's choice. And you have a choice. I have a choice. And this morning, I'm not going to take up an offering. We don't take an offering in this church. It's in the back. If you're committed to what we do here, then we help you walk through your finances and we help you be committed. We show you how we do money and where it goes. We don't hide anything. That's how we do things here. I'm not going to pass an offering plate and then you pull out a 20 because you feel guilty and you drop it in. Not doing it. But let me ask you, if you don't feel the God of comfort, if you don't know the God of comfort, I promise you no amount of money is going to comfort you. It'll all run out someday. There'll be nothing left. And God says, I want to give you a deeper comfort than just the material money. I want to give you the gift of grace. And then I want you to respond to that in grace. 
And if you don't know how to do that, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Come back next week. Because next week, Paul lays it out in chapter nine. He lays out the practical implication of what it looks like to kind of do this gift of grace. And we want to help you understand that. Because it's easy to hear a message like this and then run out and want to give a bunch of money away. That's not what I want you to do. You need to take some time to like get to know Christ. Do I, am I really surrendered to him? What does he want? Like spend some time praying and seeking him. Don't try to just go out and spend money so you can feel some kind of temporary comfort. Don't do it. The Bible says, Paul says in chapter nine, do not give under compulsion. I am not compelling you to give this morning. I'm not. Do not give under compulsion. You pray, you seek him, you seek counsel, you look at your finances, get your life in order, not just a gift in order. That's what God calls us to do. And if you don't know him, Christ wants you to know him. He wants you to know his comfort and he wants you to be that for others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to walk through your scriptures, which are just clear. And Lord, it's hard to unpack this stuff. Money is such an issue that cuts to the chase. It's probably, it was one of the things you talked about the most, Jesus. You talked about money. You talked about eternity and you talked about money more than any other two issues. And Lord, forgive your church. Forgive us for seeing it and talking about it so badly. Lord, forgive us for not seeing the grace in every dollar, the grace in every provision, the grace in every aspect, but instead we covet and want so much more instead of just thanking you and having gracitude or gratitude to you for it. Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, help us not to run out and do crazy stuff with money because we heard some sermon. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get our lives in order. Show us that you are our provider, that you will meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And even if we're going through famine or fire or struggle, you've got a plan in that and that we can trust you. And we may never get out of it in our lifetime, but we can trust you through it because you gave up everything. And it didn't return to you yet. You're still waiting to come back on the earth to take your rightful spot on the throne and be the rich, giving, kind God of the universe that you are forever and ever on a new earth, a new heaven with these new bodies that will be given to worship you. And so Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you, I pray this morning they would, by faith, receive your grace. They would understand that they are empty without you, that nothing can provide for them except you, that every breath that you've given is from you. And they'd see their brokenness and their need for you, and they would invite you to come in to change them. And for those of us who are believers, who know you, I pray that we would take some time to sit with this information, to think about how we're doing life and doing our money in a way that honors you and brings people to know you and gets people committed to the church and not just FX church, but the church worldwide that is suffering and in need. We thank you and we praise you this morning. Amen.